everyone, and welcome to the Keith Crosby Out of My Mind podcast. This is part three of a special edition on porn as slow motion suicide. Well, we continue the special edition today, picking up with the idea of helping people who are enmeshed in porn, people who struggle with porn. In the first installment, we established that porn is not a victimless crime. In fact, it promotes human trafficking and other sex crimes. It's a moral choice with spiritual and mental and even, depending on your relationship with Christ, eternal consequences. Porn is not a disease. It's a consequence of choices we make. But the physiological and psychological consequences are like an addiction to drug, like crack cocaine. And if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, please consider doing so, because today I want to emphasize helping those who struggle with porn. You may have noticed that I've taken a rather stringent stand on this issue. Love sometimes has to be tough. Porn, as we said, is both slow motion suicide and slow motion murder. Tough love is required, but tough love is also kind, patient, and sacrificial, as described in 1 Corinthians 13, in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, and even Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, 2. You've heard the saying, if your only tool is a hammer, then everyone begins to resemble a nail. And sometimes you have to use a hammer, metaphorically speaking, but other times not, not so much. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 tells us, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Spiritually speaking, if the porn addict, and you know I don't like the word addict, if the porn person is failing, and I don't like the word failing, it removes accountability and responsibility for sin, but if they are failing, giving in to the urges, you and I, we need to assess the situation. Are they unruly? Time to get tough or tougher. Are they discouraged or faint-hearted? Or that we may need to take steps to encourage them. Because it is a difficult road ahead of them, difficult not meaning impossible. Are they weak? Are they weak in their faith? Are they worn out? Are they worn down? Help them. Get others to help you help them. You can't be a one-person rescue squad. It may take others. It may require the assistance of others. Remember what we discussed last time in Proverbs, when two walk along and another one of them falls into a ditch, the other pulls them out. That applies to you as a, as a helper, as an encourager, as a discipler. Take them through a book on porn. Take them through a book on spiritual growth. If I had to choose one book and one book only that fits all circumstances and sizes, it would be Jim Berg's excellent work, Changed in His Image, which you can get on Amazon. This will help you apply all three tools, admonishing, encouraging, and helping. A word about admonishing. Let's call this next section a tale of two guys. In the early 2000s, I worked with two men struggling with porn. Each had the same problem, but both were different versions of that problem. One man was an over-the-top, outwardly self-confident man, diligent at what he enjoyed and when what he didn't enjoy doing. He was one of the most laziest men I ever met. He'd had every advantage. He used to like to talk about that, supposedly lamenting his sin. I met with him for close to five years, usually around two in the afternoon. Two things became obvious over time. He was unruly and he was unsaved. Things evolved into what some would call a level three church discipline, and he came to Christ. And in that repentance unto salvation, he changed, admonished the unruly. You see, the problem was 
he did not grieve over his sin because he did not really see it as all that serious. He liked the counseling because it was like checking a box. Now, at the same time I was meeting with him, I met with another man. He was a soft-spoken, socially awkward fellow. We met every Wednesday at his place at 7 a.m. for close to five years. When he was 18, he'd been arrested as a sex offender. He had had sex with an, with an underage girl, and he thought she was older than he was, and that landed him on the uh, sex offender's website. And he was worn down, broken, broken-hearted. He was hopeless almost. He was addicted to his own pornographic behavior, but he just felt like his life was over. Uh, it was hard for a registered sex offender to get a job, and I counseled him on potential employment situations like independent contractor jobs. He kind of kept falling off the wagon. He kept feeling sorry for himself, and he kept giving up, and he would return to his sexual sin. As we talked through and counseled through the issues, believing him to be trying, I took the tack from a Romans 12:15 perspective, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. In time, it became obvious that he wasn't trying with consistency, and yet we continued that course, that gentle course with him. The course that you see in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, where it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Watch this. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. There's a call to humility. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the call of Christ. There's patience and kindness. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Going back through that passage, verse 1 speaks to the need to be gentle and tentative. Verse 2 amplifies the need for patience. Uh, verse 3 really speaks to a warning to yourself, not to kid yourself, not to look down on anybody. And verses 4 and 5 call us to wise discernment. We should test ourselves. We should not judge by some legalistic standard, but we should apply the same standard to them that we apply to ourselves. And therefore, we are to admonish or encourage or help uh, with grace and patience. You see, sanctification is a process. Repentance is a process. They did not form this habit overnight, and it won't go away overnight, as we discussed in the second installment. Now, in most counseling cases, the normal protocol, for me anyway, is about 16 weeks. You should see progress in 16 weeks. You should begin to see change and rehabituation in 16 weeks. You know, putting off the old man and putting on the new, as we see in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. After four years with this more soft-spoken man who had a different demeanor, I saw that he too was unruly. But he did come to Christ eventually and changed and grew. But it took time on my part as a discipler, as a helper, as his accountability person. Now, these are extreme cases, and I have to confess, I made one huge error here. It was right for me not to rush. It was right for me to show patience. But in both cases, four years was way too long. That said, the better part of wisdom here is that helping folks isn't just giving them two Bible verses and telling them to call you in the morning. It's not to crack the whip over them. It's helping them to identify the yellow, orange, and red flags when it comes to temptation. It's helping them to think through the thought processes that, lead them, that led them to sin. And it's better to err toward grace than some sort of transactional legalism or box checking. Now let's return to that matter of expiration dates. 
sooner or later, this sinner, this perpetrator, has to stop. Again, there's this give and take process in sanctification, three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, one step back, two steps forwards. But as in the above cases, sooner or later, it becomes evident who and what you're dealing with. Sooner or later, you discern the tree by the fruit it bears. And in the case of these two particular men, they were unruly. They just manifested it differently. We met with elders and their spouse. We met with the pastors. And in both cases, separately, each of these cases went to a level three church discipline where we publicly asked for prayer on their part. The point is, certain behaviors cannot be allowed to continue indefinitely. Weep with those who weep, yes. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, yes. But test their work as you would your own. And in the end, it became apparent that my two examples were going through the motions of believing if they checked all the boxes, they would be okay with God. But the unruly must be confronted, reproved, and or admonished. The faint-hearted must be encouraged. The weak must be helped, definitely, with all the setbacks they'll face. But as you work through this with them, kindly, patiently, and you still reprove their sin, and you still must eventually expose it if they do not repent. If you love them, and if you love God, you will love them, then you will hold them accountable. And sooner or later, these behaviors have to stop. Well, that's it for now. Be patient with these people. Be kind with them, but hold them accountable. Until next time, this is Keith Crosby signing off. God bless you, and God keep you.